Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID, well-being, crisis management, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fulick there, so I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. If you are a longtime viewer, especially on YouTube, and uh, some older episodes on uh, Voice America, you'll know that I talked to a gentleman named James Green quite a bit. And the last few episodes on This Week in Business Continuity on YouTube we've been able to get a few suggestions from our audience. And today is one of our main contributors to our topic list. And we're going to talk about something that he's written and published recently. The article is entitled, Is Business Continuity Really Becoming More Strategic? And I'd like to welcome to the show, internationally recognized expert or well-known person. Some people don't like the word expert, but Wow. Okay. (laughs) Internationally recognized uh, uh, industry uh, personality, shall we say. Luke Bird. Luke, welcome to the show. It's great to finally have you here. Thank you, Alex. That was was massively too, too kind. I don't think I've ever been described ever as an expert before, and I don't don't consider myself to be one. In fact, I always always become a touch suspicious when someone else describes himself as as an expert, to be honest. We're always, we're always learning and growing. This feels like such a surreal moment for me because like the last few years, like we said offline, I've been, um, I've kind of been just a, an avid audience. Like this has become my TV soap in a way, like my, or my kind of running out, running on my podcasts and kind of talking to the radio or the TV. And, you know, it just keeps me interested and hears new voices. And uh, when we were talking before, the, you've, the countless hours of content that you've coordinated and delivered and I mean more recently with James who like I said has a very very intellectual but very playful way at prodding the bear of consistency and asks why and I think that's a really healthy thing to do and I always enjoy you guys chewing the fat and talking these things out especially how difficult it is to get across papers and uh, and, and, and you know, have an opinion on everything that's moving so fast with everything that's online today. So, yeah, this feels like a big moment for me to finally be on the box of you. One day, maybe I'll get the two of you on and I can really, really start to ping some ideas out here. But thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm glad to have you here. And I, I've always told people to reach out, too. And, uh, you know, you reached out by uh, sending James and I some topics to talk about. Um and we have every time, and I'm sure, I'm hoping there will be one for our next episode uh, that we can touch on as well. And But to finally have you come on, uh, I'm, I'm quite happy about. Now, before we get too far, 
I know uh, some people may know who uh, Luke Bird is, uh, but considering we have people around the globe listening and watching, can you take a minute or two just to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you got into this crazy industry? <laughs> well, I was thinking about this earlier and I'm quite, quite excited to sort of break away slightly from the standard response you get. Um, so first of all, for those that have never heard of me before, then, you know, well, well done. <laughs> because I'm quite, I'm, quite, I'm quite annoying online in this, this vacuum of a community. But uh, yeah, my name's Luke Bird, as you know. I'm currently on the Global Board of Directors for the Business Continuity Institute. I won a global award for best newcomer some time ago, quite some time ago now, for the industry, um, for being sort of one of, one of the newcomers. Don't know if I've ever really lived up to that expectation from day one, but I keep trying. And then, yeah, I helped run events at the, the Scotland chapter for, you know, we're trying to work with other professional institutes and try and do joint events in Scotland to get the professional community, the content that they, they need in my local space. And on top of that, I'm a really passionate, avid blogger, researcher, um, contributor online to everything that we do within continuity and resilience. So I'm a big, big fan of um, sort of challenging why and sharing information. And it's, um, I'm just glad that things like this exist. Um, yeah, and that's that's really me. In my day job, I work in continuity and resilience within financial services, and I have done for the better part of 10 years now. But that's that bit. So not too different from everyone else in that part. But the other part is, I didn't fall into this by accident. I am a purebred. I am, a, a, obviously, I'm still, a, I'm still a relative baby in this industry uh, by everyone else's standards. I think I'm the youngest director on the BCI board they've ever had in 27 years. So I'm a young guy. But I went to university straight out of school, more or less, and um, I studied business continuity for four years and did a, a year uh, in, in industry practice. And then I went straight into a business continuity role, well, emergency planning and um, disaster management with business continuity, and then eventually evolved fully into private sector business continuity. So I... I've, I've got two degrees in business continuity. I've done over 10 plus, 12 plus years now in, in business continuity to some extent. And uh, yeah, so it, it, there was no accidental thing. This was a, a conscious career choice of a 19, 20 year old. Uh, and I don't know why to this day it was, but you know, that's, that's how I ended up in this space. So yeah, not by accident, but by a young person's choice, a completely uneducated choice, but here we are. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, I'm glad you're joining us. And it is nice to hear, uh, you know, there are people out there that are choosing to get into the industry, not just falling into it or being told, voluntold to do Volatile. something. There is a lot of voluntold, but there is a lot of people that make fabulous careers and have actively chosen to career sidestep into this space or move into this place to grow their own careers. I recognize that. But I think what is unusual and has only been more common in, in my, my generation is that people that have come out of the blocks exclusively from an academic practice and then moved into the professional community as that, as essentially a one-trick pony. You know, there's arguments there'd be benefits for and against being this route as there is to the others. So yeah, that was me. I didn't fall into it by accident. I, uh, for my sins, I've chosen this route. 
from day one. Well, I'm glad you're here today and to actually finally talk to you semi in person, virtually in person, I guess it would be. <laughs> yeah, I'm really happy about that. Thank you, Alex. Well, let's jump into your article. Yeah. Uh, is business continuity really becoming more strategic? And the first things you talked about is an interesting title, skills to pay the bills, but is that enough? What were you talking about there? Okay, dangerous conversation, because I definitely don't want to upset um, the people that in our community that do what they do and they do it well. Go ahead, uh, they, so can send, they can send me the emails, go ahead. <laughs> no, well, listen, look, let me send my thought out, okay? That I'm, I'm, I mean, as I just described, I'm very, very proud to work in a profession that's founded on a, a solid set of practices that have been developed by global knowledge over the last sort of, well, probably over, might be over 30 years now, as, as, it's, it, as it's evolved into an exclusive domain. It's been other stuff before that. It's just to get to a point where business continuity is business continuity and beyond. There's, there's a solid body of knowledge there and practices. And we do what we do, and we do it well. Otherwise, this as a professional community, um, for, for your professional credentials, they wouldn't exist. So, you know, it's a very credible and robust career choice founded on solid practices. And that's what, first of all, I just wanted to say that, because if we wasn't like that, we wouldn't have, like, you wouldn't have 200 years worth of video and audio content uh, talking about it. We wouldn't have these masterclasses that are virtual and face-to-face. We wouldn't have these credentials. None of it would exist. And so I think what we do, we do it well. I just thought, or I've been thinking for a long time, that at the beginning of my career, I remember somebody in a conversation with me is, I really want to understand how to execute a BIA. I really want to understand how to roll out a, a desktop exercise with lessons learned and modify the, my, my recovery strategies accordingly. I wanted to do that. And this person I knew that was my manager, who wasn't totally in business continuity, was a senior leader, kind of smirked at me and kind of made me feel like I was a bit sort of narrow-minded, a bit tunnel vision on the one, not really the why you're doing it or where this can take you and how it benefits the organisation. They just sort of said, why do you need to be really, really, really good at that one thing? I mean, the reality is it was my job and I had to be good at it, right? You know, like that's, that's what we do. So my, my heart and my energy and passion was devoted to try to understand how to be good at my job like most people. And I did that, and I did that for a number of years. And we've, there's probably people that are listening to this right now that have lost count how many BIAs they've done. They've lost count how many plans they've had to review and test and uh, uh, work with departments to adapt. But so we have, this is what I was saying in the article, we have the skills to pay the bills, right? We are very good. We're very well rehearsed. We have it all locked down. But I worry I question whether we've become a victim of our own success over the last three or so decades. And I worry that we might be focusing too much on developing a plan and the masterclass for that and the conversations about that and the doctrine for that. And we don't sit and put a strategic lens on it. And uh, I think that if you also, if you consider the incident management side of it as well, is everybody in our role have whether they choose to or not, will have some relationship or responsibility to crisis incident management uh, procedures when things kick off. I've 
seen, in my experience, that they are inherently tactical in their initial responses, you know, and I find that we are thought to be and could be potentially seen to be perpetual doers. So my question really was, okay, we're really good at what we do, but are we perhaps almost too good and pigeonholed into one space? Uh, and we are a victim of our own success and we might be potentially left out of the bigger conversations at times. And that's really what I was trying to get across first and foremost. Well, you bring up an interesting point. And because we've got people from all spectrums that listen in or, or are watching, you know, some people have been in less than a year, some people have been around for 30 years in the industry. What's the difference between strategic and tactical? The great question. So the, this, well, first of all, hands up. The reason why I'm questioning it, it's more thinking out loud than saying that I have a solid answer on it. And I'm trying to push it out there to say, uh, people give me insights, let's talk about this. Let's try and figure out what this actually means. Because don't get me wrong, if for anyone that's listening, I'm not saying the continuity and resilience community are not strategic. I'm, there are people here that have been running like their own businesses for 30 years. Or, or, or however long it doesn't matter, you only have to run your business for X amount of time to realize you need to you need to make plans to keep it alive and set it in a direction and those sorts of things. There's people that have studied MBAs and gone on to senior leader roles. You know, there's there's people that are coming from other careers. There are people with strategic mindsets and strong core strategic leadership qualities in the professional community. Uh, that's fine. I just feel that the bulk of the conversation is on the doing of stuff. And so much so that the, the, the initial part of my career, I kind of got frustrated with anybody that didn't want to talk about delivering the key core deliverables. I called it chasing butterflies. I used to get really annoyed at these people that'd be like, what about this? What about this? What about this? So, let's get this done and do this well. And that was my original perspective. Now I've changed. And so the strategic view, I was trying to look for what do the what do the BCI say, for example, and they recognize it's in their core competency frameworks. They recognize it. Um, they, they put it into the good practice guidelines about the strategic BIAs. It's there. People are thinking about it and talking about it. But I do feel the bulk of the focus and energy and discussion is on the doctrines, deliverables, and regardless of the context of what they're actually trying to deliver. So I started to look more into strategy because I feel after over a decade in this industry now, I feel like strategic thinking is probably one of my weakest attributes. And I'm starting to feel a, a sort of um, a shift in my brain now as I, as I at work and when I read things where I used to nod my head and go, right, that's how we do it. I'll do that well. And now I'm starting to go, actually, what's the benefit in that? Or maybe if I took a different view, or where is this going? What is the view? And I find, I've looked at like your Harvard Business Reviews. I've quoted a few in the article. What it is that a strategic thinker is. All of the core things that make up a continuity professional are there. Your planning, your analysis, you know, all the core skills we have. But the next thing is, the, the context and the direction, short, medium and long term to achieve, that seems to set the difference between the next level of professional and the, the doers. 
and then that is also an enabler to get to the board level conversations and that's for me the difference between uh, tactical is getting things done uh, to for immediate effect to achieve a specific outcome right there and there as best as possible and then i believe the strategic stuff and what i'm reading is is more surrounded by the the where are we going why are we going there and and the, the high level view of how to get there and to keep whatever we're doing in the tactical space aligned to that and that's where that's where i think the difference is <clears throat> So is there a suggestion, you know, uh, there's a lot of organization, many, many organizations where it's a one person shop that does business continuity management. They are the doers. Is the suggestion then to, while you're doing and focusing on these deliverables, taking a step back every so often to see further ahead and be, be thinking a little bit differently, not just getting stuck in a loop of yeah. maintenance, okay, review the BIA, okay, let's validate, okay, let's uh, do the findings report next year, okay, let's look at the BIA, let's do this. You know, getting stuck in the loop of doing the same thing over and over again, but saying, also looking, if we're doing this annual review over and over again, we have to be moving forward somehow. And this is where we need to get to, the, you know, using both both parts, because mm. otherwise, otherwise you're not suggesting, you know, uh, at least I don't, I'm not interpreting this way, that a BC uh, doer professional all of a sudden stops doing and just starts thinking, you know, uh, no. strategically. You're not suggesting that, right? No, not at all. The, the thing is, like I say, we wouldn't have a solid community across multiple um, professional institutes um, and decades and decades of best practice. We do what we do really well. What I found is, a lot of the conversation I've read and seen over the last 10 years is conversations and webinars about getting buy-in from the board and how do we get buy-in for this and how do we, you know, top-down buy-in and, and you sort of go, okay, so if we keep continuing to present things like that at conferences and various webinars, that's quite telling. It's like there's, there's not like a, there's not a, a real specific way to apply what we do and what we do well, to try and give practitioners a view of how they could uh, best, best align it or think of ways to try to align it to the, the strategic thinking of their leadership team so that that will enable them to have more fruitful conversations, more budget, uh, you know, and make their, make their business continuity management systems more effective. But give me give a quick example. I did a lot of... Um, the ISO 22301 implementations for clients, so the business continuity management systems. And through that time, I would go site to site over the course of like three or so years, I think. And I would deliver, deliver, deliver. I would go around the businesses coordinating BIAs. I would interview, I would get that together. And really, the, most of the time, the need for it wasn't actually to have robust plans and solid analysis and insights to deliver appropriate strategies. It was to it was a contract requirement that stipulated the vendor must have um, that certification to demonstrate how reliable they were in, during a disruption. And, and so as soon as you finish the process, it was sort of rendered itself a bit redundant or the you know the culture wasn't really there i hadn't developed a, a you know a culture of awareness and, um, to 
and put it into the fabric of the organization. And the standard actually says you have to demonstrate that, but actually in my experience, to achieve an out, like a positive outcome of an audit for that, you only have to demonstrate that it's there at the time. And so these, you know, the free cycles, they will come back and they'll look at it and people might not pass it again the next time. I just feel that it's, um, there are, it's not black and white. There will be, there will be business, there will be continuity and resilience leaders that have strong strategic mindsets and have the understanding and um, the presence of mind to factor in what they're doing to the benefit of the business's direction. I, don't, I totally think that's the case. But I felt as a junior professional coming through, that was lost on the audience. And we, we didn't factor that into the initial uh, blueprint of what we do. And I think that should be from the ground up. It should be something in the grassroots of our approaches to say, right, you can build that house on that field, but that, well, that field's actually a, like a field of sand and it's going to sink into your time. So, yeah, that's what I think we need to, we need to probably think about doing. But as I say, I'm not a strategic expert, um, but I just have this little niggling voice in the back of my head, Alex, where I feel that this is, there's an opportunity here for developing professionals, particularly those that are just starting out and looking to understand how to do the, your, you know, the best approach you can take for this with your organization and how to factor in the strategic direction and apply that thinking to maximize the full effect of the program. But that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. Today, we are talking with Luke Bird on the topic of is business continuity really becoming more strategic? We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's info at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Luke Bird, and his recent article is Business Continuity Really Becoming More Strategic. Luke, lots of information in that first segment. Uh, you touched on a point I just wanted to mention and maybe get your comments on. You talked about leadership, you know, setting uh, some of the direction for the corporation. So as business continuity professionals, um, or really anyone in general, should we be aligning our deliverables and our strategic thinking to the vision and the mission and the values that are set by organizations? 
right? Because the, yeah. the or the organizational leadership, I should say, because then we're actually doing exactly that. We're aligning to what they expect. What are your I'm thoughts smiling. on that? I'm smiling because there'll be people doing what I do and chatting at the TV, maybe on the screen. Because uh, they're like, we we already do this. Just because you don't think it doesn't mean that we're not doing this. And that you know, I don't. That's not that wasn't my intention. So that's the first thing that makes me smile. The 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 second thing is that's a two part question really because um yeah we do that we do do that already. The the even in the um, sort of international standards, you set the context of the organization, including the strategic direction, uh, so that you can have an appreciation of that context whilst you set up your management system. I pull my hands up and say that when I've done that, I've delivered it at a moment in time without any strategic insights or board level conversations. And I'm not at the table when it changes, because strategy does change. My two and a half, two years on the board at the BCI shows me that that you know, long-term plans, they they move, they're shifting sands. Um, so for somebody who's not in those conversations, doesn't have those those qualities or experience yet to define that context in a moment in time, it might run the risk of just being piecemeal. Uh, so there is that. So I do think if we can find a way to have a live dynamic strategic view or insight, almost like a test of it every so often, are we keeping on point? Are we with the direction that there should be a, a, a rolling question that comes back in? Not like a deep dive audit, but something that says, are we keeping relevant to the business's objectives as they are today, rather than like on three-year cycles because it changes, mm. as we've seen through COVID massively. <clears throat> and then the other side of it is, is why I say it's double-sided, is that if you're, a, if you're a leader of a continuity and resilience program in a big complex organization, you need to think about where you want to take your department and your program and and what are, what's your five-year plan for that? And what, you know, what do you want to achieve in that time um, whilst being realistic, but, uh, uh, but also in keeping with the organization that's paying your wages to be there in the first place? And that's really, really what people are doing it. They might be doing it well, but they might just be doing it with very limited insight in actually how to apply that level of thinking. I know I did. And only at a moment in time. So the quality of that context may be left wanting. And that was the point I was trying to make. Mm. Okay. Um, you also talked about uh, optimism, you know, your, our moment in the sun. What were you talking about there? Right. Okay. So the, every year, well, recently, the Business Continuity Institute has tried to publish a sort of um, uh, insights and various reports but this one report that's came out more recently which I've quoted in the article is about it makes a statement it's a 70 page document so I'm not going to go for everything it just just there's a particular core chapter in there that caught my attention and uh, what many people have shared and commented on which is about how much more strategic we believe that we are becoming um, as a in our particular roles. So I was really excited to, to read into that because as I say, this, this, this has been a perceived weakness of my area for development more recently. I thought, right, there's some real conversations coming up now. Let's see what people, you know, what's actually happening in the community. 
Are we are we moving towards a chief resilience officer at C-suite level? Are we are we really present and at the table? And as I read the report, there is there were, first of all, there's for those that haven't read it, there's over 450 participants across a, I think it was 60, 64 countries. That is a fairly you know, good sample and uh, across a number of different organizations and, and sectors and countries. There, I didn't take personally from the data that was in there, there was, a, there, was, there was a strong view and evidence to suggest that we were becoming more strategic. It kind of felt to me like we were, well, celebrating the fact that we were in the boardroom a lot more recently, um, but there wasn't, there wasn't much of a, a statement in there to say, well, let's, let's balance this out with, uh, we're in the boardroom at the moment, because the world's on fire with COVID and we mm. coordinate the incidents. We're getting a significant amount more airtime than we've got in a long time. We'll know, anyone that's been in this industry, this type of job for any more than a couple of years will know when something's kicking off, you are front and center. You're like the board want to see the whites of your eyes and they want you to help them steer the course. So as soon as that's done, normally these are big bang events. And as soon as everyone's taken a breath and it falls back into the operational domain, you get you most of these places get typically put back in their box. A BC manager will or a DR manager will will use that in their back pocket to reference when it comes to discussions about budgets and things like that. But they uh, ultimately, I feel like that's your you get a moment in the sun, and then you typically get put back in your box. Uh, until the next big bang. This, you've had a, a real long period of time where you've been, and it would be easy to assume that you've become more strategic because you're you're sat at the table. But I do wonder when, soon hopefully when this is all over, that will we get put back in our box? So there's a lot of people in that report. The question is framed as, do you view your role as more operational or strategic? And a certain percentage believe that they view their role. So it's a business continuity professional institute report asking continuity and resilience professionals in, in a two year period where they've probably been at the board more than they've had in their entire career, whether they feel more strategic. And I just felt when I read that, we might be high-fiving ourselves a little too early. And if anything, we shouldn't be saying we are, we are more strategic we should be calling out the fact that this is, I think James alluded to this actually, it's a, James Green, a massive opportunity for the profession to, the, the doors open, we've got our foot in the door now, they see our faces, they know our names. We run the risk of falling back into the, the rest of the organisation. Is there a framework or a direction that we can take to keep ourselves life beyond COVID, keep ourselves relevant within the strategic conversations uh, at, at the leadership level, and that's why when I read that report, I was I I disagreed to an extent because I uh, I think that it's easy to assume that you've become more strategic because you're very useful at this moment in time. Well, wouldn't it also depend on um, how it's presented and, and viewed at the board? You know, who is presenting? Uh, because a lot of people in, in these organizations, like I mentioned earlier, are a one-person shop. So they may do a two, three page quick status report of what's happening, let's say right now in COVID and what they're doing with business continuity. It gets funneled up to a senior director or a vice president 
who speaks about it for a while. So it really, the business continuity person isn't really at the board table and getting that, uh, you know, um, isn't being uh, noticed by the executive team because someone who's already at the table is just giving a quick five minute update. And then to your point, after that, it goes away. You know, mm -hmm. so really it, it's not a change. It's just the same thing. Yeah, it's the pathway to your right. I've been frustrated many times where you're like, there's, there's two or three rungs of management that proofread just slide into three yeah. points and then it's a 30 second gambit at the top. And that's the reality of it. Finding the opportunity is finding the pathway through we're developing ourselves as a profession to navigate that because everyone else has to navigate to get to the top table. So we need to match pace with those, those groups and to, to sort of promote how, how relevant we are. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think it's as easy as, um, you know, <laughs> just getting to the, to the table. There are so many other layers and facets in there. And yeah. a lot of times, you know, what we want to convey gets watered down by, you know, our boss or our boss's boss, you know, those like, oh, we can't tell the team that, we, you know, you know and <laughs> our message gets watered down. And we really, for, for many, you may not even have a moment in the sun. It's more of, oh, oh okay, that's fine, good. You know, um, onward, onward, uh, onward. Yeah. Yeah, this but, is why I think it would be good if those people entering this career uh, choice, uh, that they, there's, we can try to develop within best practice a some sort of like approach or pathway to embedding strategic thinking into what we do to understand how the leaders think. Because if you are waving at the boardroom from three layers behind and the point your message is being diluted, you need to get ahead of that so that that it's, the message is already useful. The closer you get to the end message already, the you you're closer to the table because they'll pull you in for more context and all of a sudden the doors open for you. That's it. that's my experience so far anyway. Because I found there's a big gap between I'll develop this huge program, loads of detail, loads of data, loads of insights, three bullet points said by someone else um, that I've never spoken to before. <laughs> so well yeah and that's another problem right there. Uh, a lot of times uh, we don't have the experience in talking to somebody uh, or a group of people on that level. Yeah. We go into too much minutia and detail. And I know from my own experiences, good and bad, you can't go into a lot of that information. You know, yeah. the, a business impact assessment, you know, we did this and then this, and all this C-suite people will look around going, who the hell cares? I don't yeah. care what that is. You know, somewhat. <laughs> you know, somewhat. Uh, so it, there, there's a gap there in the training, too, of how we talk to these different audiences. Yeah, I would like that. I would have liked that. And sorry, I feel like I'm a bit late to the party on that. I need to, I'm doing a lot of backward homework now to understand how to, I know we do the elevator pitch and everything else, and, you know, but you, your messaging is, I mean, my last few years particularly, that's given me some serious insight into trying to perfect that and get closer to the message of the top uh, yeah. to benefit. Well, luckily, luckily I, had, I took some project management and program management uh, uh, courses and some experience to learn how to talk with people on the uh, upper ends, shall mm -hmm. we say. And uh, it's very different than if you and I were talking. <laughs> it's very different. 
It'll so, be interesting to see what courses you have to send me the link. I'd like to send anything that can help. School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> That's what it came down to. <laughs> so um, we've only got a, a minute or two left in this segment because I, I do want to save our last segment for uh, another topic. We're going to change gears and talk about uh, mental health in, in the industry, something I know is uh, important to you. Um, so the, the last question I just want to quickly ask is, what are some of the things we could start doing, those of us that are struggling, uh, to think more strategically? What are some of the things we can do right now in, in changing our ways or enhancing our abilities, shall we say? I mean, like I said, first of all, I'm by no means in any way, well, I don't even have the, the years under my belt to even think about uh, fully telling someone how to take a direction on this, but from the guidance I've received so far, uh, from mentors and, and management in the last sort of two or three years is to, it sounds so simple, but take a step back and start with why. Like why, you know, I think there's, a, I think there's the book, uh, Schnack, is it? And start with, um, start with why, off the top of my head. Um, it's trying to understand whatever it is we're doing uh, and the benefit it is to the organisation you're doing it for in the context of the direction they're going in um, and try to forget about all the deliverables and all the data and look at this, look what is the high level sort of epic storyline of the business. Um, and you maybe apply the operational resilience context at the moment about key business services. What is it that we deliver as a tangible output to an identifiable participant and why do we do it? Like that's trying, and then apply that context to the current published strategic goals and what they're trying to do. And maybe the look at the annual reports and look at the executive reviews of, of the sort of the narrative behind that about what they're trying to achieve and to try to get some color behind it because that can really add flavor to the bits that you might want to focus on more than others. That's certainly how I'm approaching anyway, but also as a community. Like maybe the, I mean, there's a the group at the moment that's starting to take shape. There, um, I know James is part of it. The resilience think tank. Uh, maybe uh, the the guys and girls in that space could pull something together to talk about a grassroots pathway into adding strategic flavour to your programs. And uh, that would be um, a useful insight to get people talking as well. Because I feel that this is only. If we're, we're writing a report in 2021, at the end of 2021, saying we're becoming more strategic, but we're a 30-year-old practice plus um, with, with all those bodies of knowledge, we don't really have that yet, and I feel there's a gap there. Mm -hmm. On that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. Today, we are talking with Luke Bird, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. 
Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Luke Bird. Luke, we're going to change topics a little bit because I know there's uh, an important uh, topic you want to talk about, and that is uh, mental health in our industry. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, where to start? Uh, I recently um, sat with Mark Hoffman. Um, for those that don't know, he's the recent Global um, Consultant of the Year um, award winning. But he's also on top of that, aside from his day job being amazing at that, he's decided to set up a, a podcast like so many of us have tried, not to your level, Alex. Well, like, you know, we all live in your shadow. But uh, Mark, Mark's, Mark's decided he wants to set up a podcast and he's covered in, in just a small handful of episodes, he's covered some pretty challenging conversations about gender equality and uh, sort of racial equality. And, uh, but then also uh, I asked him for the opportunity to use that as he was following a, a sort of a, a form of these key issues. I asked him if I could talk to him about mental health. Um, the driver behind that is two parts. One was because um, I believe that the continuity and resilience profession, whether deliberately or not, have a habit of either hiding or choosing to ignore what is a very important topic because us as professionals at the cold face of an incident we're typically seen to be adept at dealing with the heightened pace of urgency and stress so we're the people running around with the papers around the boardroom table whilst the chief financial officer is crying because they've got a difficult decision to make i've been in that scenario and it's not nice and it's scary because these are your leaders the we are meant to have the broad shoulders to take it. And in my experience in the UK, there's a number of professionals that have come into continuity and resilience that are from either the military or from the blue light services. And they're generally thought to have seen some pretty harrowing stuff over their careers before they even get to what we do, which sort of powers into insignificance sometimes in comparison. But... The reality is, even for them, we're all humans and we all have life going on. And this has been an incredibly difficult couple of years on top of what we're already experiencing. And I discussed with Mark that even before COVID, the World Health Organization 
um, they had seen a marked increase in global mental health issues being reported across institutions. Um, it's upwards of like, I think it was 14% off the top of my head. And that was before COVID. And so I think as an industry, we I made people within my role as a board, uh, board of directors, people approaching me, telling me stories that they have young families in lockdown, managing incidents and their day-to-day -day jobs. There was an, a group of BCI members that recently published um, a kind of like a group think research report on emotional impact assessment, which mm -hmm. if you read on the face value of it, is demonstrates tremendous amounts of anxiety and stress about potential job losses. And then if also you consider the comments from James Green on your channel and on others and the, the, you know, the unusual number of people actually losing their jobs in continuity resilience, those things all combined with COVID as the umbrella is, um, it presents a very difficult and challenging environment and factor in that us as a, as a profession are generally thought to be seen to get on with it as a kind of a badge of honor in difficult times. That puts us in a very vulnerable scenario. So like anybody, I go on to social media, I go on to various channels that we look at in this space and I look for help. I look for pathways. I look for role models that have gone through things that people I can see that have done things and not necessarily what the negative thing they've experienced, but what they've done to try and seek help and that it's okay to not be okay. And I see that there isn't enough there for me. Um, in fact, I find there's very little. I see an awful lot of um, commentary on personal resilience. And whilst I do recognise the hierarchy of needs, we do need to try and keep fit and well and spend quality time and understand what's important with our families and our close ones. Um, I think it goes beyond that. And I think we have a potentially a big bubble of mental health issues within our profession that's sitting there simmering along and getting bigger. So I am trying via that conversation with the podcast, and thank you again, Alex, for giving me this opportunity to pitch it. I'm trying over the next few months to try and encourage some people to get on panel sessions, to get on, maybe do like, um, a group think exercise where we publish something collectively. I don't mind it being under my banner of my name, but with feedback, qualitative um, data about recovery pathways. And then also I've got an article coming out in the new year uh, about something that I went through personally and how I applied my own recovery pathway because I want people to see someone at a fairly high profile can go through something like this and what I did about it to try and seek help because it's important to take that first step. And that's that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Uh, I know we talked during the break and I think uh, mental health is going to be a, a new kind of pandemic once the current situation is over. Yeah. Uh, and, and not just people in our industry, like you said, the blue light industry, you know, the, the first responders, nurses, doctors, et cetera. I think there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are all of a sudden it's over, I'm done. I want to change, uh, or they're just going to say I, I need to step back for a certain amount of time or whatever, regroup. Um, I, I think that's going to hit us afterwards. I really do. I have a very strong belief that's going to happen, and I know some of that is occurring already. Definitely, 
I think I'm trying to target the specific, well, obviously our, our profession. So I, I want to run under the banner at the moment is the question that we should all really be asking ourselves, because I'm asking it in the conversations that I'm having, is what happens when the continuity professional can't continue? And we all have this badge of honour at the moment, and I'm not, I'm, I want to rip that badge off a little bit and say it's okay to not be okay. And what can mm -hmm. we do to seek help and take that first step? Um, going to be sharing some really sort of personal stuff for myself, uh, which I had done on the podcast, but in more detail via a couple of articles. And I'll be running a few things over the, the coming year to try and um, encourage other people in other areas to do something similar in the way that they think is most appropriate, because I think we could create something that people can relate to. Well, we've got only two minutes left. Uh, do you have any final thoughts uh, you'd like to convey either on the strat strategic thinking or the mental health or something else that maybe uh, you'd like to quickly touch on? Yeah, well, first of all, the, the, the strategic side, thank you for that. That was, uh, that was good fun. I, like, I would have uh, loved to have had uh, uh, perhaps James next time to be devil's advocate as well. That would have been a good good bit of table tennis on the topic. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. <laughs> um, I always enjoy it. He doesn't hear me when I speak normally on there, so it's like interesting to see if I could deal with the responses. But uh, the, yeah, the mental health thing is, is, is very important, not for me. I don't want to be the face of, uh, uh, of developing a mental health program. That's not what it's about. It's, um, I, want, I want to help create a space for people. And if it can even help one person for the effort that, that goes ahead now, um, that's, that's all that I need. And I just want to thank you for the end of this session to give me the opportunity to you know, put that forward again. I've had lots of feedback already, people coming to me that want to share, that want to help. I'm really, really grateful for that. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, um, my contact details, I'll ask Alex if you'd be so kind as to leave the link to, to that. I would uh, I'd be all ears. Um, from anywhere you are, whatever background, whatever, whatever you've gone through, if you can give me uh, the time to help find a channel to position you to help share and, and provide that, uh, support to the community um, I'm all ears uh, so thank you that thank you Alex for that as well well thanks for being on the show and sharing uh, your thoughts on this and the strategic thinking uh, uh, topic and um, I would like to have you back when uh, some of those uh, initiatives that you just spoke about have started or um, you know, been initiated or just about to initiate have you come back on the show and we can uh, talk about them in more detail and the articles that uh, you have coming out too. Uh, you're more than welcome to come back and share. We'd be happy yeah, to have you here. I'm an exporter too, so I'm looking forward to having people have a look at them and give some feedback and next steps. So thank you. And, and maybe I will get James on to come and uh, talk about something or we'll invite you to join us on uh, This Week in Business Continuity one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, Alex. Cheers. Uh, thank you for sharing your time. And to everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.